Good evening and welcome to Monday's edition of Celtic Down Under, uh, the weekend review from Western Australia, hosted again by myself, Sean, and once again joined by our now veteran uh, contributors, Paul and Anthony. How was your weekend, Paul? Yeah, pretty good. Obviously, a highlight being the, uh, the match. Um, but yeah, just uh, I had a kid's first birthday party, um, which was, it was okay. Always remembering. Yeah, they'll remember well, I, it when they're older, and they'll, they'll hate you if you didn't. You know, wasn't mine. Just... Wasn't my kid. Not having kids, right. so uh, it was just a, a friend who sort of pitched up, gave a gift, ate some food, disappeared. So yeah, did the, did the, did the friend thing, and off we went. Sounds about right. Anthony, did you stay up late and watch the game? I guess eleven PM is late by most people's measures. I actually didn't stroll until twenty past eleven, which is very unusual <laughs> for me. So I missed the two goals, and then obviously the game is settled in a bit of a rhythm by then. But we'll talk about that in a second. Um, went and saw a couple of fringe shows last week at Fringe in Northbridge. So mm-hmm. a couple of shows, and currently binging three seasons of Happy Valley. So that was uh, some total of my weekend. I seen. A, I, I went to the fringe and saw. What's the guy's name? Is it Ray Bradshaw, the one, the Partick Thistle fan I, that does it? I saw, saw him as well. Yeah. He's yeah. I, there was this literally six people when I went to see him. It was on whatever weeknight it was, and he was yeah. telling us all how he did like a ten thousand person show supporting um, John Bishop, and then he came to yeah. Perth and there were six people. So <laughs> he was sort of um, he, he was trying out some material because obviously yeah. he's done up, he's an upcoming tour through the UK, um, but he did mention that he'd only been sort of sued or threatened to be sued twice, and Already? one was uh, one was an ex Celtic player um, who may or may not have connections, or father may may or may not have connections to the IRA, but I'll leave that one to <laughs> maybe 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 not figure that one out. Anyway, I thought thought the show was pretty funny. But yeah, let's uh, talk about Celtic. Um, So uh, on, uh, there was a bit of change to the starting lineup. Quite a few changes, actually. Uh, We'll talk a bit more about the the player who made his first start in a moment. But I just want to quickly highlight the midfield three that that no one could have predicted with this just little video from last Wednesday's show. Adam Moy low-key limped off at the weekend. So I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Hitati come back in for Turnbull and uh, O'Reilly come in for Moy. So there you go. One person at least predicted the midfield. Uh, but what I did not predict was um, that uh, O would be starting up front. Uh, when the press conference came out and, and Postacoglu said, oh yeah, Kyogo's fit and training, I was like, okay, well, I guess Kyogo's starting then. And then when it came out that O was starting, I was kind of pleasantly surprised um i didn't feel that aberdeen were going to take any points off us at all so i was like yep let's see what this guy can do uh getting his first start um anthony how was your reaction when you saw well, did you see that on your way home i uh, well yeah I, I saw the starting lineup so i guess the yeah the big one there was obviously oh starting oh um mm-hmm. so yeah like, i didn't have that on my my thing either i thought he'd be sort of brought in but i guess upon thinking about it Ange needs to know if he's up to it because you you know a lot can happen a week of training you've got a cup final next week or this week coming obviously so you need to know if he's capable of starting and leading the line i thought he did okay um my, my biggest criticism probably particularly in the first half was that he was dropping too deep um so where kyogo tends to play off the the the, the shoulder of the last man he was coming deeper and deeper and deeper looking for the ball. And yeah, he got involved, I think, in the second goal, the the, the pass to put a taddy through. I think he was involved in that. 
Um, but I just felt that that was probably the one criticism in the first half. That he was probably trying a little bit too hard, and that's natural. Um, but the controls there, um, you know, he was getting amongst it. I think he adjusted in the second half. You saw him, he was playing a bit higher up. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, he, he got, got in amongst it, but unfortunately, obviously, he got on the store sheet. But, you know, it was, I, think, I thought he played okay. It was, you know, decent enough performance. There, there was some times uh, last season when Kyogo would come in for some sort of pseudo criticism where he would have like, some of the stats would be like, yeah, he's only had eight touches of the ball in this game, but he scored twice kind of thing. So it's almost like uh, Ange kind of wants that from the strikers at times. And, if, and what you're saying there is it was a kind of halftime adjustment. So there's obviously been that feedback, uh, which is perfectly understandable that he would be very enthusiastic and try and get involved as much as possible. Um, it's not been as obvious in the away games where he's been coming off the bench. Paul, do you think that's uh, a kind of facet of his game that will that we'd need to fit around home and away games, different opposition. How do you how do you kind of see that uh, working in different situations? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. Obviously, we, you know, unless you are a, a an aficionado of the Korean league, then most of us haven't seen much of him other than a YouTube clips video um, until he came in to see you know to play with us, and, and obviously he's limited at, at that point. Um, I, I think. He's like like Anthony touched on. Obviously, he's he's been keen to impress. He's got his chance. I think um, there's a lot of rumors. I, I was surprised about. There's a lot of rumors coming out of Celtic or or purported to be coming out of Celtic that the sports scientists had said he was he was a fair bit off starting matches and, and things like that. Now I don't know if that was actually based on any kind of fact or that was just you know the Twitterati uh, giving it the giving it their perception. But so I, I was the same. I wasn't expecting him to start start. You know that reason plus the reason that Ange said he was good to Kyogo was good to go, um, but look, I think um, he, look he he's he's a different player again. I think for, I think a lot of us thought oh, okay, Jackamacus is going. This guy's like the closest ready-made replacement. He's something different to Kyogo, but to me, and a little bit we've seen of him, he sort of sits somewhere between the two. He's not going to play completely off the last man. He's not a big bruiser centre forward. He's definitely a bit more of a unit than than Kyogo, but he's not necessarily just like an out and out target man. So I think I think he's he's a bit of an all. You know, he's got a bit of everything about him, um, and he'll take some time. So I've got to remember, he's only twenty one. He's just arrived. Um, I haven't got the stats on how much he's played in in Korea, but at that age, I wouldn't imagine it's it's a ton of seasons. Um, so, you know, even to be hitting the ground running and scoring in his I think second appearance off the bench, and then and then putting a pretty tidy performance together, um, as it touched on, um, I actually thought that he was involved in in Hitachi's first goal, the second goal in the first half, and and I thought his play was was really good in that in that little passage of play. He obviously dropped. He did he did come off the front. But in him coming deep, winning the ball, sort of recycling it, pushing it back, he actually vacated the space which allowed Hatati to come in and effectively play almost what we now call a false nine and sort of then, you know, skip past a couple of defenders with quick feet, which I'm sure we'll spend more time talking about Hatati's feet um, over the course of the next hour or so. Um, But yeah, I think there's there's plenty more to come from him. He's, if if you think back to the debut against United, he didn't have long, but he he put in that fantastic cross for Meira. So he found himself wide on the right. And it didn't look out of you know it didn't look out of place there. And by all accounts, he's played some off the left a little bit as well in Korea, which is some of the reports that came out before that. So I think we'll see him certainly like Jakimakis would hold his position centrally pr- pretty solidly. He wouldn't veer too far off that. He's 
textbook penalty box striker, you would say. And the first touch mm-hmm. finishes sort of highlight that. But I, I think there's a lot more to come from Owen. I think that he's, uh, you know, he's got the potential. Let's let's call it that. It's very early days in his career, but he's got the potential to be a bit more of an all-round package um, than, than than maybe somebody like Jack Marcus. Yeah, so I guess while we're on the subject of Hitati, we should probably focus on him because obviously he's the one that everyone is going absolutely nuts for uh, at the moment. Uh, dropped after an underperforming against St. Johnson. And then he just absolutely put on a clinic uh, against Aberdeen. And in the 27 minutes or whatever he played against St. Mirren, back-to-back doubles. Um, so he's in, look, they asked Postacoglu post game, and Postacoglu's response was he's been that good all year. Uh, obviously, there was a moment um, earlier in the season, oh, a few weeks ago, where one stirring Celtic podcast had asked uh, Rio Hitati, is he really that good? And I think uh, Hitati has obviously answered that uh, in the moment. I was trying to come up with some uh, uh, pun-based names. And I, I've tried, I don't know if you tried it, this chat GBT thing. So I gave it out can I have, and I said, chat GBT can have some potential pun-based titles for Rio Hitati. And uh, there were some really good ones like Rioli Entertaining, uh, the Rioed to Success. Um, and my, perfin- my personal favourite was Hatatitude Adjustment. I quite like that one, <laughs> uh, given the, some of the comments that have been coming out about them. So ho- hopefully we'll see some of those in the Wednesday show. So uh, uh, who wants to go first to wax lyrical about Rio Hatate and then speculate on just how much money he's going to be worth if he leaves in the summer? Anthony, do I go? I'll go. Um, look, I hope he doesn't go because I mean, obviously we're just starting to see the the he's adding goals to his game. So I think when he first came in in January last year, we saw the potential in this guy and what he could do. And then I think obviously he petered out over that the rest of the season because of playing a whole season in Japan and then coming to Scotland. Um, so I think just like he's just, he'd been bubbling away. And obviously now he's added two, two sets of two goals in two games, one off the bench. And you're thinking, how can you drop this guy? Like he's, he's just, he's everywhere. Like he gives you the work rate with Callum McGregor. He plays a forward pass, probably like a Stuart Armstrong, like he break really good at breaking the lines. He's, he's brave. He plays balls that other players won't play. Turnbull will tend to go sideways. O'Reilly will tend to go sideways. He tends to play through the lines and they're the balls that win you or show you goals. And ultimately when you, when you football matches and like I said, his two goals are almost carbon copy ish in the sense that he both hit the bottom, bottom, right-hand corner. Um, but that second goal, I haven't seen an individual goal like that in a very long time. I mean, nutmegging, taking on three players, getting the return off his own pass. Uh, it's pretty special. And, I, I, you know, I know we talk about goal of the year and all that sort of stuff, but that has got to be up there. I mean, if not team goal of the year, definitely individual goal of the year, because that was just, it was incredible. I mean, Aberdeen were pretty hapless and we'll, we'll touch on them as well, but he still had to, to do it. Um, and I just think he's, yeah, if he can bring that form into next week, we'll go a long way into securing the League Cup. I think it was Rogic-esque, the goal that you're referring to, the, the third yes. of the night, the second for Hitati. Paul, how did you see it? Yeah, look, we can, you can um, we can talk about the virtues of, of his performance all day long. Um, he, he was pretty sensitive, you know. Um, look, he's, he's showing a fair amount of that over the past sort of, Season and a half, or season, just over a season across the two, two the two, uh, the two years, um, 
I love the I love his ability to make a pass, both uh, short and long. Um, as Anthony says, beneath between the lines, um, there was a raking pass um, second half out to Mieda, um that I can't remember who dummied it, but somebody dummied it, and it it went. It could have gone. That person could have picked. That player could have picked it straight up. Anyway, it was right at his feet, but he had the foresight to dummy it, and I think Mieda picked it up on the far left, and it was must have been a 40, 50, 60 yard pass, just just raking across the pitch. And he's done that quite. Sure, a bit. He did yeah. that in the Champions League. He, uh, there was two or three of those in the same match. I think maybe against Real Madrid uh, at home, and he was pinging passes like that. And you just thought, Jesus, this guy's got it. And and he's, you know, the the only thing you could really level at him is is consistency. And and it's not consistency as in one week he's tremendous and one week he's really poor it's just that he drops off that that really high level that he's been at um and and i think the other thing that, that there's a couple of things about hatati that, that people seem to sort of have a misconception on one is he gets called a young player a lot and he'll be 26 shortly but i think the reason for him being called a young player is because he's come up through the university system in japan so he's very early in his professional career um and and i think you've got to look at that balance like you, you can't treat him like another player who's 25 going on 26 he probably is a player that's more like 2021 in terms of his development um so i can see why why people refer to that and it certainly makes sense to do so um i'm the same as anthony obviously any select fan unless you're completely stats based and think that Therefore, Turnbull is a better player, um, which is clearly nonsense. Um, and we've known that before the weekend's game. Um, he, obviously, we don't want him to go. It would be he's on a long contract. If he did go this summer, not that we want to encourage that. But if people keep putting those clip packages together on Twitter, then it's, it's more <laughs> likely he will. Um, yeah, he uh, look. I don't like to speculate because I've been wrong often enough um, uh, on fees. Uh, you know, the the last window being a perfect example. I'd have thought both those players would have gone for more money than they did. Um, but yeah. You know, he's a special player and it, rather than fees you, you could talk about what level he can play at. and I don't think he's got a ceiling to be honest at the moment he's he's got the capacity to play at any, whatever level he wants and to be honest I think Ange alluded to that in his commentary he said you know he just comes in and wants to be a better player constantly and that's what he's striving to do and that's that's where he'll that's you know that he's got the opportunity to do that um with up to whatever level he wants to to to, to do so yeah um fantastic performance the the, the second goal the shift of feet is like I don't know. That's incredible. Two or three different shifts, um, and then he plays a brilliant pass through the legs. And at that point, you could be forgiven that deep in the game to go and sit back and sort of enjoy the the bit of skill and the pass. But no, no, he's hearing straight after that ball, and um, the, the, the layback to him or the flick back to him isn't the best. And it's quite fast. I mean, he manages to get that under control immediately and tuck it away. It's just it's just a really good finish. And um, yeah, I, I think um, look, he's. I said it last week, I'll say it again. I think he and Matt O'Reilly are our best two in those positions. Um, and I stand by that. And I expect those two to start um, barring any training ground uh, injury in the in the coming week. But yeah, I, I think um, maybe we'll touch on Matt O'Reilly in a bit, but I thought he had a very good game as well. Um, and has probably come in for some undue criticism. Um, uh, and probably only because of the quality of Moy. We've we've not talked about missing Matt O'Reilly, but I think, I think those three... Obviously, including McGregor, are, are the best midfield combo we've got at the minute, and I hope they do play in the cup final. Yeah, um, uh, definitely. Uh, I agree with that point. Um, and we, I think we'll probably leave most of the cup final review to the Wednesday guys because uh, we uh, focus on what's happened this weekend, but we will touch on it. Uh, just bring up a couple of comments uh, at the moment. Uh, we've got just to highlight something. We've got a morning boys from uh, Northampton, Tim. And then an afternoon 
Vlad from Paddy Lavery, and I think our response will be uh, good evening. Good evening. From <laughs> 8.15pm here in uh, Western Australia. Uh, but thanks for the comments at whatever time zone you're in, in uh, England or wherever Paddy is. Uh, and actually, oh, well, probably what is about midday in the UK now as well. Um, Mark McDonald's put a comment in, Hitati, uh, the real deal, simple as that. Now, I wanted to, when you talked about how many goals Hitati was scoring, it kind of threw up a link for me. Uh, so thinking Hitati scored four goals in the last week, which puts him on eight for the season. Uh, top scorer is obviously Kyogo on 22, so he's not a significantly far behind that. Uh, you've got Jota and Maeda on nine goals. Uh, Jack and Marcus was on nine when he left. But the only other player, apart from Kyogo and Maeda and Jota, who scored more goals than Hitati, is the player that scored the final goal this weekend, Leo Labada. Now, Leo Labada is a curiosity. He has played every single league game this season, without fail. Mostly off the bench, but he's played every game. He's somehow played more games than Joe Hart. Uh, the only other person who has played as many games as Leo Labada is Matt O'Reilly, another curiosity. And possible product of the five sub role. But Leo Labada is our second top goal scorer. Can you tell me how many goals Leo Labada has scored this season? 11? 12? It's exactly 11. Uh, yeah, but oh, you're both pretty on the money there with those guesses. It was a, uh, it yeah. was a complete guess, but yeah, <laughs> that was in that ballpark. So yeah, Leo Labada, 11 goals. Uh, is he hard done by to be out the team behind Jota and Maeda? Uh, should he be in ahead of Jota? What, what's... What's, what's going on with those two? What's what's this contest going on with the wingers? Is Haksibanovic too good to be going on the wing? Anthony, wingers, let's go. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a conundrum. Um, I I was thinking I've been thinking about this. Obviously, we're talking points, and and Abada for me just seems to pop up and score goals. And he's a bit like he's a bit like Hyogo. Like you might not do too much the rest of the game, but then all of a sudden he's in the right position at the right time. And more often than not, it's in the back of the net. Like he absolutely creamed that shot. That was that was a good finish. And that was like, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. And he absolutely buried it. Keeper had no chance. So and he should have scored last week. I mean, there was a handball, obviously. So I mean he's probably robbed robbed the goal there as well. But how does he fit in? Well, Maeda's obviously in the form of his career at the moment. He's playing out in the left. He can't really play on the right so then that's forcing Jota on the right is Jota the best player on the right I think that's questionable um you know it's unfortunate that we've got two really good players who both play left wing um and then like I said Jota just terrorizes Barisic every time he plays against him so I I know we don't want to predict squads and things for the for the game on the weekend but I'd be very tempted to, to start him on the right because he just Goes past Barisic. He's done it so many times already. Like Barisic will have nightmares if he starts. But I think you could easily turn and say, well, you know, Maeda and Jota are and just go to starting eleven wingers, and you you couldn't really argue with that either. Because Jota played had a reasonable game. He's probably a bit unlucky. He drifted offside for the shot, and then that could have been a penalty, but it obviously was called back for offside from the bar. Um, so yeah, he 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 was involved in the header for the first goal as well. So he was in amongst it. He looked up for it. Um, Maeda gives you that work rate, and like I said, he won. Thought he'd won a penalty. Obviously, it was chopped off. But so, 
it's a hard one. Lila Bada is probably not hard done by. The one thing I would say is that Lila Bada was overplayed last season because he did have a bit mm-hmm. of a barren patch last season. But because we didn't have the, the squad and the numbers, he kept getting games when probably he would have been rotated out. So I think that's a little bit to do with it. But I dare say, based on minutes, surely he has the best return for goals and assists per minute of any Celtic player. I, I haven't, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to look that up today, but I reckon he must be. He must be top, top of the top of the, the pecking order. I'm trying to pull up the stats as you went to pause talking there to find out how close <laughs> he is to playing a hundred games and what his stats are. But he, he was played fifty something games last year, and he's on thirty six this year. So I'd say there's a realistic chance that uh, he could be hitting a hundred games for Celtic before the end of the season. And when you look at like, Callum McGregor, who's twenty nine or twenty eight, whatever now, and he's just hit four hundred and. Leo Vada's somehow managed to rack up a quarter of that in one and a half, two seasons, right? It's quite it's quite interesting. Uh, I think sometimes people get frustrated with the Bada, myself in particular, because when he's kind of stood up face to face, like facing up to a pack in a packed box full of defenders, he doesn't seem to quite know what to do in those moments. Whereas when he kind of gets, you know, gets a run on, gets sees some space, gets some instinct, he kind of can kind of do it. But is there, what do you think, Paul, is there an argument that Jota is a better choice uh, against a low block than Leila Bada uh, and that maybe Abada is better coming on when a defence is stretched? And, and how do you think that applies to selection for between those two for the cup final this Sunday? Yeah, look, it's a good point. Um, I think um, I think we touched on this last week, or I certainly mentioned that that we we when with the baddest impact um with the, obviously the pass down the side um to Moy and then um and then the 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 collection and shot for the for the penalty and the red card um the, but that was all he did <laughs> and that's quite often what he's like he you know i think i touched on fit by tweets on twitter last week they have they he's a cartoon they draw him as a ghost because he he just ghosts in at the back post he's very good at coming off his wing and into the box and taking up that central position as everyone gets drifted to the front post. Um, so yeah, and his his pace and his movement um, play well to you know to, to a team that's sitting a little bit higher. Um, look on Jota um, and and Michael's just said that Jota frustrates him; he's not consistent enough. Um, I, I take that point, but also when you've got a player that's like that is that, like Jota, that's a traditional winger whose job is to take people on, to produce a piece of skill, um, to take risks and and to, to, to commit players, you know, even the very best of those aren't 100% consistent in terms of beating the man every time, um, a, a positive output. But I thought his performance um, for the period he was on the pitch, particularly the first half, was excellent. Um, he... Uh, we talk about um, Mieda's work rate. I thought Jota's work rate in the first half was tremendous. It was more than once he was tracking back into the fullback position and robbing balls off attacking players um, who just weren't expecting him to be tracking back to that degree. Um, and obviously with the way that we play, Johnston wasn't naturally right there in the fullback position because he he tucked up as well. And, and Jota tracked his man all the way back into that position um, and a mixture of pace and um 
and 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 uh, willingness was the first one to to win those balls as they were getting slid in the channels. Um, and and look, he terrorised the Aberdeen defence as well. Um, Johnny Hayes had a nightmare until um, either Mera switched over or they changed the they changed the formation in the second half. And once they changed the formation and they tightened up to four five one, um, there was a bit less space in the in the wings um, and in the midfield in general. And it did take us a little bit of time to to, to break them down. Um, and and I guess if they'd started that formation, then the game might have been a little bit more frustrating. But as it was, we got more space. Um, than we might have imagined we did. Um, and, and yeah, Robson responded at halftime, but it was obviously a little bit too late, too little too late at that point. Um, but yeah, I thought Jota had a, had a tremendous game for the period he was on, particularly first half. And look, it, uh, it's probably mentioned elsewhere, but it was 2-0 going on about 5-0 um, first half. It, it should have been mm-hmm. out of sight by halftime. There was there was a few flashed across the, 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 the six-yard box both Meda and Jota played balls into that area, and and if I've got one criticism of it, oh, that he wasn't he wasn't because he was he wasn't because he was looking to play a little bit deeper and link play, he wasn't the first man in the box to to, to slot some of those coming across the, uh, the box, which you often see Kyogo getting on the end of stuff one or two yards out. So along with somebody like Abada who go, and and even Jota sometimes if he's coming in on the other side. So yeah, look. Um, uh, be interesting to see. Um, to me, I'd I'd, I'd go Maeda um, and and Jota uh, on the cup final, but there's absolutely a case for Abada given his record, particularly against uh, Barisic, which we've touched on, um, and it's a common theme. But um, look, I think let I think let Jota loose um, and and sort of run at them, um, and yeah, just give him the freedom to do that and see see how we go. And you know, the bench is so strong that Abada will get time at some point if it's needed, uh, and in and yeah. He'll get a crack yeah. at that point. And coming on against a Tyrant defence, I think arguably both him and somebody like Meda can can cause mayhem um, because their their speed and work rate is is phenomenal. There's some uh, incisive comments in the from the uh, listeners. So Mark McDonald, Abada, better when Ralston plays, in his opinion. Uh, Northampton Tim, and he loves to play the Huns, which we all know. He's I believe he's scored more goals against Sevco in the last uh, year than anyone else. And Mahesh has uh, answered your stats question, Anthony. Uh, assessing goals per 90 minutes, uh, Abada, 0.76, Jota, 71, and Maida, 40.46. Uh, so stats says Abada should be in first. And I did find that number. Uh, Abada has played 90 games for Celtic since he signed wow. last in summer of 21. So he, uh, if he keeps playing every league game like he has been, then he will reach 100 before the end of the season. So he'll be getting his jersey presented on the pitch and all that sort of stuff. Um, on uh, what you mentioned there, uh, Paul, about uh, how absolutely dominant we were in the first half, uh, and, and really it speaks to the kind of overall dominance we had of the game, uh, where we finished the whole game overall, we had 78% possession. Aberdeen didn't have an attempt on or off target in the first half. Callum McGregor finishes with 102 completed passes, while Aberdeen finished with 151 so it was, it was it was pretty comprehensive uh, in that sense. Uh, it seemed to me that the only kind of moments of glimmers of hope that came for Aberdeen was from two kind of shaky moments from Joe Hart. Um, and I don't know if you remember those in much detail, but um, what, what did you make of those two? And uh, did you think there was a handball offence? Uh, the ball clearly hits his hand, but what did you make of that as a handball offence, uh, Anthony? 
Yeah, I mean, they, Aberdeen didn't offer much. I mean, they played to up front the first half, but they were pretty quick to concede um, territory. And the first two goals went in before they realised they were in a game. Like they're they're pretty lax days ago, shutting Celtic down, and Celtic's had a field day. So I think it took 15 minutes for Aberdeen to wake up and realise they're in a game. And then they sort of obviously tried to be a bit harder after that. And then they went try to shut up shop in the second half. Um, and you're right, they were really the only two chances. The one where Joe Hart plays the ball out, tries to play the ball out to Johnson, I think, and totally just doesn't hit it hard enough. And, and they, they intercepted out with me, Johnny Hayes. And then that was sort of a wee half chance. And then the other one, I think, wasn't that how Star felt horrible back pass? I mean, as much as everyone's blaming Joe Hart, I mean, the ball got, he got a horrible back pass. Like it was lobbed <laughs> in at pace. I don't know what Carl Southfield was doing. Well, he just put it rose ed. Like, I don't know. Like, if you can't play it on the ground back to the keeper, it should, for me, it goes out. But he's played that horrible back pass. Joe Hart's caught in no man's land because he's not in his box. He's probably too close. So then it's like he's jockeying in the, like, what, 30 yards from his goal. And yeah, I, I must admit, I thought, well, that did hit his hand. But then what is that? Would it be a yellow card and a free kick? I mean, that's probably all it, all it would be. But, um, but yeah, it was just a moment of madness in general. And it probably was like the only thing that you sort of say, oh, that was probably Aberdeen's one chance, and Johnny Hayes couldn't even hit the target. Um, so, yeah, so that was just... I, I wouldn't get too hung up on it, but, I mean, I, think, I thought the defence played really well. They did what they had to do. Um, but, you know, I think when there's not much to do and Joe Hart hasn't got anything to do, then you do tend to fixate on these moments. And I guess, like you say, you just don't want to have all these moments next weekend. It could be costly. Yeah. And I think we, we said the same at Starfield last week. So it's just, I'd much rather make a boo-boo like that at 2-3-0 when we're absolutely cruising at home than in a cup final. But it's one of those things. Does it give you any fear for Sunday, Paul? Uh, assuming that Joe Hart's going to be starting and not Seagrass coming back in? We've not even seen Seagrest on the bench for a few weeks, so I'd, I'd be very surprised to see him starting. No, uh, yeah. look, it, it's, it's not ideal, but um, I think we touched on last week that, you know, the centre-backs and the keeper at Celtic aren't actually in domestically asked to do that much defending. So um, it is more about concentration and, and being alert and sharp. And yeah, he's made, well, uh, as, as Anthony said, I think, I think there's less blame to be laid at him, his door for uh, for the back pass one. But um, the other one is just, uh, I guess it's a, it's a symptom of, of what Ange is asking from, from him, um, which we've all aware that that was definitely not his natural game is to play out and, and be comfortable with the ball. And I think we can all say that he's, he's made a real, there's been a marked progression in his ability with his feet uh, in the time he's been at Celtic, which I think is to be commended a player of his experience and age. Um, so proving you can maybe can't teach old dogs new tricks. Um, but yeah, he's, he's left it. He's left a little bit on there. It's a pity, pitiful effort by by Hayes. To be honest, I saw something on Twitter today that said uh, he should have. We should have kept him, uh, and that was the clip. <laughs> so yeah, probably not. Um, yeah, look, I've got no concerns uh, with Hart. Look, I think long term for for uh, long term for for Angie's system, assuming we've got to keep Ange for for the foreseeable, um, he's he's obviously not the absolute perfect keeper for that system, but his his presence, his experiences, his leadership, um, I think all outweigh the odd um, the odd mistake like that, and. Um, Look, he's not the. I don't think he's. If you're going to criticise him, yes, a little bit of distribution and his his for a big lad, his his um, under a cross ball, he gives me a little bit. Like I feel like his ability to punch um, 
doesn't really get the distances you would want. But generally, he's still a sharp shop, uh, shot stopper. He organises his defence well. Um, and yeah, he's a proper leader, both out of the pitch and in the dressing room. So yeah, I don't think there's any danger that he'll be getting replaced anytime soon. I think it's one probably for review um, come the close season. Um, but 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 yeah, um, I don't think Seagrass is a long-term solution. I think he's a, a backup, and and I think Toby um, is is a bit away from what we can gather. So maybe we we'll see how he goes in this um, this loan spell. That that might be the making of him, like some other young players. But historically, goalkeepers take a lot longer to come to come to their peak. So I, I would say there'll be a, another purchased keeper that becomes a first choice before anyone inside the club already. Seems likely, and the um, I wouldn't be dropping him or anything. But one of my own other concerns about Joe Hart and goals in the cup final is that he's uh, self-proclaimed not very good at saving penalties, <laughs> and there's obviously a, a good chance that a, a cup final can go to penalties at some point. So I would have m- maybe liked to have seen Seacrest in for that reason. But given that he's not been fit, I think you have to go with Hart. Uh, on just well, it's jumping ahead a little bit, but just. Absolutely well within the subject area of talking about Joe Hart getting caught out. Did you see uh, Australian goalkeeper Mark Birigiti's concession of three points uh, for Dundee United? And if what did you make of, do you think he was to blame or Charlie Mulgrew? So if you haven't seen it, what happens is Dundee United just scored a sensational equaliser. 60 seconds later, Charlie Mulgrew plays the most ridiculous back pass to Birigiti, who then also inexplicably just absolutely dwells on the ball instead of getting rid of it and Stevie May just slide tackles in and two yards out straight into the net and Birigiti goes off injured uh, in a Dida type instant. Uh, Anthony did you see it what did you think who was to blame Birigiti or Mulgrew? Oh it's just terrible football Um, the keeper passes it to Charlie McGrew's right foot and Charlie McGrew's left footed and then he just plays a weak well, not a weak back pass, but a pass back to him. So, I mean, you would think the keeper should be putting that into row Z at that point. Doesn't, tries to take a touch, and then totally just thinks he's got a lot more time than he thought he did. I thought he was pretty weak for the first goal as well. Like, the, the shot was so. going down the middle of the goal, and I mean, there was a bit of criticism of him for that as well. And I know we'll touch on this, but Motherwell, you know, having two wins, and you know, I sort of basically gave them the death knell last, last week. I think my caveat to that was that if not, if another team doesn't shoot themselves in the foot, and I think that qualifies to shoot yourself in the foot when you go one each and you're on the ascendancy and then your keeper does that. Oh, sorry, your keeper and your main set half does that. Um, I think it's going to be a real tough, tough grind. And I mean, Kilmarnock, they, they lost as well. So they're there in the mire as well, um, along with Ross County. But um, yeah, tell you what, you don't need that if you're if you're trying to climb yourself off the bottom of the ladder. I think there's those sorts of moments of madness that will uh, lead you to be relegated. So, Dundee United are sitting on the bottom of the table after that, and I th- I'm not sure. I think they would have climbed off uh, up ahead of Kilmarnock if they'd managed to get that draw. And there's then... two really big sets of fixtures this weekend at the bottom of the table: Killy hosts Motherwell and Ross County hosts Dundee United. So there is, those are two massive games mm-hmm. for the context of who's going to finish in the bottom two positions uh, in the league. Uh, Motherwell two wins, beat St. Mern, um, and then they beat St. Mern two one, and then oh, beating Hearts on Sunday night two uh, 0 which is a bit definitely a bit of an upset. So. Um, I'll uh, just say a couple of things on that because obviously, mm-hmm. like I say, Dave, Dave Motherwell the 
the, the kiss of death last week, but um, uh, given the kiss of life, say, Anthony, kiss of life, all way possible. You... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Kettlewell, aka David Degea, um, he has seemingly um, revitalized Mother Squad in the space of seven days, so fair play. And I think he might be on, on, you know, if he gets another result on the weekend, I reckon he could get the job full time. Um, I think St. Martin put all their uh, effort and energies into playing Celtic. Um, so I think it's quite often that you do see teams that play Celtic tend to suffer a, a poor performance after that. So I think Muller will probably slightly beneficiaries of that as well. And then the other statistic out of that game, which was quite interesting, was that there was actually more players for St. Martin who've played more minutes for Motherwell the Motherwell's team has played for Motherwell. Mm-hmm. So maybe part of the thing is that Motherwell should just play themselves and they'll get a result every week. And then as for the game on the weekend <laughs> against Hearts, um, maybe Robbie Nielsen's men thought they were playing Rangers. I mean, that, that's maybe the explanation <laughs> for that one. I do, I do often wonder about that. Um, teams do seem to, after we give them a good uh, scalp on the arse, they do seem to kind of have a bit of a hangover in the next game and I always wonder if that's physical fatigue or some sort of mental uh just probably like, oh, both not, yeah both. like we've just been are we actually good at football doesn't seem like it these guys are playing a different game to us almost like Celtic in their last seven games were averaging 3.9 goals per game so if we'd had like one more goal in that spell we'd be on exactly four goals per game so we are absolutely flying in terms of goals scored but I, I do wonder like are we like? Is it hubris here to, for us to say that we're having that much effect in every team we come up against and put to the sword? Or you know, well, I think teams treat it as a bit of a cup final. They go, "Oh, we're playing Celtic this week. We need to be up for this. Need to real otherwise already at scalp." So they, they put a lot of mental energy in, and like St. Murn, they put a lot of physical energy into that game. Like they left nothing on the park. So we did talk about that last week. And in fairness, last week was a cup fixture, so it was all there to play for. Um, so you know, I I, I think that translates into especially as we're playing midweek and they don't have a big squad either so i think that definitely translates into a midweek game um if you're playing sort of back-to-back sort of thing so i think in this instance it definitely had an impact aberdeen on the other hand i don't think they really tried much for a leg to be honest it wouldn't really surprise me if they get a result against livingston this weekend but i I didn't see a lot there that really you know barry robson sort of you know he's he's been dealt a tough hand there i just think that's great to see out the season and avoid that sort of bottom four Stramash and just sort of sit mid-table security and that'll be that and start again in the summer, I guess. But it was pretty, um, I, I didn't see anything there that made me think, oh, you know, they're the signs of life there. So, yeah, and, and St. Marin did win it again at the weekend after the 1 1 now, despite losing to Motherwell. Uh, but that's you're right, that's after Motherwell, what was it, nine wins in a year. Then they appoint a new manager and they've got two two wins out of two. Hopefully that's not them making another run for Europe because that was embarrassing at the start of this season. Uh, but also Partick Thistle, who sacked their manager last week, beat Air United, who are chasing promotion, uh, 1-0 at the weekend. So, uh, And this is the thing that sometimes the stats go against this and sometimes they absolutely support it. So this is kind of anecdotal. But it does seem like this, getting rid of the manager, getting any, literally anyone in. Because part of this, we've got Chris Doolin in, who has no previous experience as a manager. He's just the, the, the man that's standing at the end of the corridor when they're trying to find someone to, you know, take the sessions. Uh, and both teams have won. So this kind of dead cat bounce you get from a new manager, is it is it a real thing? Is that, is Sevco currently going through one? Paul, what do you think? Is it real, the, the new manager bounce? Well, I think some, in a lot of cases, it's just 
somebody different it's a different voice on the training ground it's a different voice in the changing room um if a manager's got to the point where they've lost a job things are probably going pretty badly so that's been felt all around the place i think it's as simple as that um maybe in as well there's a bit of a wake-up call for some players that that go well hang on that guy hired me if i mm. if i don't impress whoever's next um i might be out of my ear and you know we've got to remember that you know it's a bit of a cliche but football's a short it's a short career um and outside of you know your your bigger teams um especially bigger teams in scotland the wages aren't going to set you up for life so um you know you're going to need another job after you finish playing the game um and and some guys drop out of the game before they you know because that there's nobody wants them at the level that they they can afford to 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 continue to be professional at so I think there's multiple factors too. Um, just on where the league's sitting at the moment, there's a few interesting things going on at the minute. Um, Aberdeen could just as easily end up in the top six quite comfortably. There's, you know, from about, I think from about fifth to about ninth, there's there's very little um, across that. And I did look at earlier, but I haven't got the stats immediately to hand, but there's not many points spreading uh, across the bulk of that midsection of the league. Um, and the other one I thought was really interesting is um, the perception of our friends in Edinburgh um, because Hearts are perceived to be having a great season, solidly in third place. Meanwhile, Hibs are deemed to be having an absolute shocker of a season. Um, and there's five points between them. And Hearts have won 12 matches and Hibs have won 11. Um, I, I, like, I'm, when I checked that today, I was surprised um, because that's definitely the, the messaging and the perception uh, around the place. Um, but it, it's sort of, to, to the point where we're speaking about managers, it's sort of, um, it, it sort of maybe plays into the fact that, you know, you can't necessarily hang on to a manager just for the sake of it, but that stability um, and backing of the manager that's happened with, with Hibs it seems like they might get some reward out of that because uh, maybe it's just because it's been one of those seasons where other than the top two, nobody's really been able to put a string of results together. Um, and the se- the league is pretty wide open. Um, you know, even United, as hapless as they've been, they're not dead and buried. You can, you know, Motherwell actually look like another win and they're out of that, that, that little trouble uh, <laughs> for now. So I think they're six points clear of bottom after, yeah, after right. two wins. So, right, yeah. so, so, it just shows you how quickly you you can move in this league if you string two or three results together. So, um, you know, from a from a personal point of view, I think we'd all like to see the back of Kelly um, or Livingston um, or both if we can help it to get rid of those plastic pitches. Um, be, not being biased, but we hate them. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see United dig themselves out of it. Obviously, they're 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 one of the traditionally big clubs as well, but. Um, yeah, I agree. They're looking a bit of a shambles at the moment, and and they've made some funny choices. We touched on it last week with with you know letting Tony Watt go to a competitor in the same half of the t- well, potentially the same half of the league. Then they're not doing well, and they could well finish in the top six as well. But um, yeah, there's, it's a pretty uh, you know aside from from the top two and, and even us, we you know you pretty much you know we don't want to count our chickens, but we're nine points clear, and we'd need to drop a ridiculous amount of points in not very many games for it to become. Um, a possibility so so really I would say you know if one's clear second's pretty clear and after that from third to I don't know the majority of the league you could you could nearly throw a rug over them and and you know string a few results in one way one direction or the other and, and you could have a fair amount of movement across the seat across the league you're right and there's uh seven games to the split so there's going to be quite a lot of chopping and changing in there um and yeah just 
I'd, I agree with you that I'd hate plastic pitches for top flight football. Uh, but then Michael Beale came out and said he didn't like them, so now I like them. Uh, was I didn't before, uh, so I've changed my mind on that one. Uh, but we'll talk about Sevco in a minute. I don't want to move on from Hibs yet. Um, so Hibs are up to fourth, and I think since uh, Aidan McGeady effectively missed the first half of the season through injury, and since he's came back, I think Hibs have been a different animal. He's basically getting an assist every week and really uh, running these games, and he had another good performance at the weekend. But I actually thought a bigger talking point from that game uh, was the, the red card for Kyle uh, Vassell. And I'm sure uh, a lot of people didn't actually see it. So I've got, I just uh, did a fair use policy, definitely not plagiarizing or stealing anything from the internet clip. Hold on, I'll just play it now. So for anyone that's audio only, obviously that was a sensational experience for you. Um, but the, what's happened is Kel Vassell has put his foot, six foot in there, studs into the boy's face, uh, didn't get the ball, and John Beaton's given a yellow card, and then VAR calls him over, and then they change it to a red. Now, what I found most astonishing about that was my first take, my, the first take I heard on it was Derek McInnes, the Kilmarnock manager, coming out and saying how angry he was it was even a yellow. And I'm thinking to myself, when I watched that, I'm like, what, what? I'm thinking of the David Turnbull red card, and I'm like, how is that That's different? what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. I, I, if, Dave, if that David Turnbull one was a red card, that's a red card. I mean, if you're going for consistency, which is what we're asking for, then it's a red. I mean, you can't stick your boot that high up in there. A little bit of sympathy, the fact that the Hibs boys coming in, like, you know, full-bodied, but you just can't do it. In, in today's game, if you lift your foot up that high and you catch him, you don't get the ball. Yeah, yeah, you're giving the referee a dangerous, you know, a decision to make for dangerous play. So that's yeah, it's a red card. If he makes no connection with the player's face, that's a yellow, right? But yeah. he's caught him studs in the face. And the only thing that I think that's stopped him from getting a straight red in the first place is the the Hibs player like has almost shrugged it off, like he's just kind of tilting his head and like holding his face. Like, now when you see the replay, like if that was a Spanish player, I don't want to be. Like racist or anything, but if it was an overseas player with a different culture, if it was, if it been, was Neymar, yes, yeah, if it was Neymar, then he'd been down on the grounds like doing five and a half rolls. It, it was that it was a pretty rough challenge. Paul, was it shocking? Is that the first time you've seen it? Were you shocked? It's the first time I've seen it. And and look, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate, and I've got a little bit of sympathy for the guy that's got sent off there. So uh I would you know, I take the point Anthony's making about the Turnbull challenge. I say the difference with that is is Turnbull's flying in with the goalkeeper kind of already there um, and his boot is high and he's got to realise that there's a pretty good chance that's going to connect because that's where the keeper, keeper stand right between his posts and that's where he should be. I think in this one, you can see the player's eyes are firmly on the ball. He's gone to try and make contact with the ball and the Hibs player has come, to me, he's come flying into an header and okay, he's, you know, it's pretty... It's marginal. He probably does just make it. And obviously there's a coming together. I think you can go either way on that in terms of um, if with VAR, you slow it down, he studs the face, you're going to get a red on decision. But I think if that had stayed as a yellow, I wouldn't have had too much complaint about it in, you know, in the middle of the pitch where the ball's there to be contested. Um, the player's eyes are firmly on the ball. Yeah, I'm going to play devil's advocate and say um, it's a man's game. And oh, uh, Paul, you put Paul, your head. Did it, did it you, no, you put, come on. You put your head. You put your head in where. Okay, Graham Sooners. <laughs> <laughs> nah, look, I, I'm not like look. I, modern game, 
yeah, fair enough. You take a red card. Well, I think to, to, I don't to, think I, I'd say it, I don't think it's as black and white and as similar to the Turnbull one, to be honest. If you if you want to compare that to Barry Robson's elbow of Christian Daly in his first oh, yeah. uh, Glasgow derby, that's going back to when men were men, and it was a, it was that, a should man's game, is, that should that be should a straight red. That should be a straight red. That set the tone, that, that set the tone for that. Today game, that like. would be a straight red all day long, particularly if it's a Celtic player flying into to arrange this player that early that was... in, the, in the match. But um, oh look, one of the, and I think the, the ref was a bit guilty of this. It, on, on Saturday as well. Um, refs are still loath to bring out the cards early doors in a game, right? So they don't want to set the tone that that cards are coming out. Um, but the danger of that is then then players get emboldened to to to, to keep sticking the boot. And we saw it a little bit with St. Marin and we saw it, you know, there was there was multiple times um I can't remember the Abdi player who um had it's probably three, possibly four fouls in the first half. Um, in quick succession um, and it annoys me that I've forgotten who that was but um, obviously the Celtic TV team were quick to point out that yeah. it, was, it was it was multiple fouls and and look, none of them in their own right um, maybe the third one was probably a yellow in its own right but the other two um, were just fouls but by the time you get taught you know taught up and persistent fouling I think there was definitely an element for um, for a card there but um but yeah, I think that's the thing. Certainly in a, a big game like back then, um, you know, they don't want to, I don't think he even got a yellow for that from memory. They don't want to pull the cards out. I don't. I think mm. you'll see the cards stay in the pocket um, for, for a good chunk of the game uh, on, on Sunday. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a bit of a controversial decision for Yavar in that match. But um, yeah, we'll just have to, we'll have to hope that we're too far ahead that that's not going to cause an issue by that point. I reckon the only way you get a yellow card in the first hour is if it's the like a pullback. I think I, I from memory in every game for the last however many years, the only time you get a yellow card in the first hour is if it's a, a deliberate foul, like a pulling a player back or a impeding progress when someone's on a counter attack. I cannot think of a yellow card for anything else uh, in the last few years. It seems like that's the kind of way that refs run this now. Is like. Don't give a yellow card unless it's super unavoidable, and that's you know. And you're right; that's shouldn't be that. It should be every offense should be equal, no matter when it happens in a game. And if you're committing four offenses in the first half, you should be getting a yellow. Uh, Mark McDonald saying it was shinny, probably it's always shinny, right? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, it's, he's absolutely right. It was it, well done, Mark. It was shinny, and yeah. I think his third challenge maybe was a slight pull as well, um, which <laughs> is why I thought it should have been a yellow, and it, and it wasn't, but. Yeah, and and Adam Jota got a yellow card for it like two weeks ago. I I can't remember which game it was, but he got a yellow card for persistent foul in the yeah, first did. half as well. And they so were all like, innocuous. They were all innocuous. It was just an excuse to give my give me a yellow. Yeah. So you know, consistency, as Anthony was mentioned, is what we're looking for, and really, it's not what we're getting. And this week, they're coming out and saying it's interpretation and rules that's the fault, the problem, not VAR. Uh, and I'm like, come on, man, like it's monkeys with knives, isn't it? Uh, so let's. I'll just quickly brush over. Uh, we've still got a couple more talking points. Sure. While, while we're talking yeah. about um, fouls um, or, or soft fouls and, and yellow cards, mm-hmm. I think it'd be maybe remiss to talk about uh, our uh, our arch rivals and the uh, rather That's, soft red card. Yeah, that, that was um, my, my next moment. next talking point. I was just going to quickly bring up uh, just just a quick. 20-second laugh at Hearts, who subbed off four players and only subbed on three, haha, uh, and, and their 2-0 lost to Motherwell. If you can't count, that's a bad start. And then we had Sevco, who on the same, kicked off at the same time as us in quite a rare event. 
uh, who, as you say, had a penalty. I personally thought it was a penalty. For yeah, a it was a penalty. It was, it was pretty, pretty blatant, but and there's no need for the defender to do it. Uh, but then the red card for a second yellow, I was that was a disgrace. I, I thought Kamaruf has taken an absolute dive there. Like the contact, he's taken two steps after the contact, then hit the deck because his legs are tired or whatever. And then Sevco score from the free kick and go 2 0 up and it's game over. And at 1 0, Levinson were the team creating, well, both teams were creating chances, but Levinson were having chances. So uh, is it a case of, yep. Referees assisting them again. I believe it was David Dickinson, I think. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Anthony? It was. Oh, it's thanks. It was soft. I mean, that's the words I would use. It also looked like Disney on ice because they're all stating about that plastic part. So nobody could stay on their feet anyway. So I think the referee probably should have kept that in consideration with the amount of players falling over. Um, short pulling, yeah, it was a stupid thing to do. And yeah, but later law, it is a penalty. But I mean, how many times do you see shots getting pulled at corner kicks? And they don't get pulled up. But yeah, this one does get pulled up and it's awarded on a penalty. Even um, the, the man sent off, is that Menga? Is that who is that who sent off? Oh, Ongar, sorry. Um, he, his first yellow was soft as well. Like both these yellow yep. cards were pretty, pretty soft. So it's just, it's consistency. It's like, would, would a Celtic get those results? I don't know. Um, I just we did a bit of statistics today and not trying to be conspiracy theory tin hat or anything like the tinfoil hat or anything, but Rangers have a plus seven penalty differential in the league, still having conceded one, and they have a plus four red card count as well. So that means that red cards for and against, they're up four in the sense that they've played against 10 men um, four times. For comparison, Celtic are minus two on the penalty count and zero for the red card count. Um, Hearts are plus four and minus three, and Hibs are minus four and plus seven. So that's, uh, Rangers are the only team benefiting in both penalties and red cards for the league. So read into that wherever you want. I, I've been doing some research on that that I've not quite finalised yet, but uh, it doesn't look good. Uh, longer, Even longer term than this season, uh, what happens to referees when they... So basically, if you go back and look at it, um, anytime a ref, Sevco, anytime Sevco drop points, and in the same game they've had a penalty against them or a red card against them, that referee disappears from Rangers games for like however long. Like they get taken off those games for like up to a year. I don't know if you remember the Willie Collum one. So anytime Sevco lose, draw, or get knocked out of cup, and there's been a penalty or a red card against them, that ref gets canned from Sevco games for the following foreseeable so you can check out the numbers are there i'm just trying to crunch number i've done all the numbers i'm just trying to get the stats for the other teams to compare it just to figure out if it's um you know just one team that's getting this this benefit or not um mahesh has got a couple of comments on it uh saying that grappling of players running past should be professional foul and yellow uh, actually on the oh, the shirt pool right i think what we're saying a lot of the times to get away with that I think the fact that he was holding on to that shirt for so long, it was almost like he had two goes at it. That was part of the reason why it was given. I think if he lets go after the first kind of the first time that Morelos is moving away from him, he probably gets away with it. But it's like he's pulled it through, pulled him through two motions from Morelos. So that's kind of what's happened there. And then Mahesh, up until the red, uh, Rangers found it hard to get consistent momentum. Cantwell looks like a threat on the right for Rangers. Uh, well, Cantwell got subbed at half time on. The midweek game was it midweek? Wherever, wherever, sorry, not midweek. The previous game, and so 
I think that's another one of those inconsistent players. So uh, we're almost at the end. So I'm going to just uh, touch on our other news. Uh, so do we want, let's talk first about some big positive news for Australian football. Uh, the Matildas beat Spain, who are a really big team in, in ladies football, uh, 3-1 in the Cup of Nations. Uh, and to give that a little bit of context, Spain actually beat Australia 7-0 uh, last June. So 3-1 win for uh, the Matildas. Did either of you see that game? Any comments on it? I saw some of the goals. The The goal from Courtney Vine was an absolute belter. So I definitely suggest that you watch the highlights of the game just to see that goal because that would be a, a goal worthy of winning any match. Um Spain are actually sitting seventh in the world, so uh, the mm-hmm. Matildas are sitting twelfth. So that's actually a really, really good win and a good warm up for the uh, Women's World Cup, which starts on July twentieth. Um, Matildas also beat, um, let's say that's right, uh, Czechia, um, the Czech Republic. They're now known as Czechia, mm-hmm. if I've pronounced that right. Um, so they they beat them four 0 They're number twenty eighth in the world, and they're also playing Jamaica in a couple of days' time. So it's part of their camp as a pre 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 world cup to sort of get up to speed and and um yeah just all i think to say about that is um sam Kerr getting snubbed for world player of the year again so oh, yeah bit of um bit of geography i think involved in that and a bit yeah it's it's if anything it hopefully will just fire up for this world cup and just show everybody that she is one of the world best world's best players women's football in Spain has a sensational supporter base and I don't know where it came from but it's amazing I think they had like 90,000 or 80, 85,000 maybe for the Barcelona Real Madrid uh, last year between the women crazy uh, so to like get and I know some of the Spanish players are boycotting uh, the national team manager but even still it's still there's still a, a lot of really big players in there that are playing for those really big teams uh, so World Cup coming up. It's in Australia, uh, June, right? Um, uh, so July. Got, July. Yeah. July. Yeah. Then we've got some games in Perth here, Some a lot of games out east. Uh, are you saying we should be hoping, hopeful that Australia could possibly go away? Well, I'd be in the mix. Definitely. I mean, home, having that home, the benefit of playing at home, I think definitely is an advantage in a World Cup setting. So you never know. We'll see what happens. I believe we're playing Ireland in the groups, and I don't remember who else. So that's I, been that's the, that's our first game, and that's been moved to, that's right. um, to the, the yeah Homebush, um, so where the, where Celtic played um, uh, Everton. So because they've reckoned mm-hmm. they've sold about eighty eighty five thousand tickets, so should be is good, that what should it holds? Be good I think it again. holds eighty five ninety. I think it holds eighty ish. So um, they, yeah, mm-hmm. so it was um, they done well to fill that because. Uh, us and Everton couldn't. <laughs> it was uh, both ends were busy, but the sides were were a bit empty. Um, yeah, I, I I didn't see the whole game. I saw a couple of goals. Uh, I didn't see the one that he's talking about, so I do need to go back and see that. But saw the header from the centre back, and um, uh, forgive me, but my her, her name escapes me. But she's I did read a stat that she scored six goals in the last six games, um, and and mm. prior to that, I don't think it scored in something like twenty odd games. So um, clearly hit in form at, at the right time. Um, and look. Uh, I think they shared on the group chat that uh, the Matildas have just moved into the fourth uh, most supported side in Australian sport um, mm. and, and pressing the Socceroos for third. So, and gone past the, uh, I think it was at the Wallabies they've gone past. So, uh, and already past the Kangaroos and the NRL. So, yeah, um, 
it, it's an exciting time for for uh, women's football, um, and it's great for us to be hosting it. And uh, yeah, we've not the most games here in Perth, but I think they'll uh, hopefully get a decent turnout um, for for those matches that are here. Yep, I'm buzzing for it myself. Uh, hopefully, getting along, seeing as many games as possible. Uh, final point, uh, just a quick laugh at. Uh, Chelsea, a.k.a. London Rangers, who lost 1-0, struggling despite spending £600 million in January, lost to Southampton at the weekend. I think that puts them, what, the 11th or 12th in the EPL Cash League. Uh, Yep, just a quick laugh at them. Any comments? Oh, look, from from my point of view, it's obviously great to see them down there. But um, it just, to me, it doesn't make, it doesn't seem like there's any strategy there, right? So the... um, the new owners have come in, they've retained the old coach, but then they've just opened the checkbook, as far as I can see, and brought in vast array of players, not necessarily with it. Like if you compare it, obviously, the, you know, the budgets are night and day, but you compare it to support somebody like Ange has done systematically, picked players that suit his system, pick, pick people that suit his ethos. Um, and yeah, got a lot of people in the door early, but, but they all sort of had a place to, to fit in that squad and as we've seen the evolution some of them were only ever intended to get a job done for a period and and then there's time to fill in the gaps it just feels like he's taken he's literally taken a, a few paint pots and flung them against the wall and, and hope that you know a Jackson Pollock comes out because the <laughs> and instead it looks a bit like a, a five-year-old's uh playtime picture I have no idea what's going on there Potter looks out of his depth which is weird because he did such a good job at Brighton um, with a completely different strategy actually like but you know proper scouting finding players under the radar um, and and putting a a systematic um, squad together that fitted the style of play that he wanted to play Um, and, and that seems to have gone out the window entirely so whilst you know uh, it's not a sad situation to see to see Chelsea struggling. Um, it does disappoint me in a, in a way because there's some great like I really thought Modric was going to go to to Arsenal, um, and it'd be nice to see the Gunners win win that league over over some of those others. Um, and I felt like he could be part of that jigsaw that sort of pushed them over the line, given how you know uh, sort of explosive he was in the games against us. Um, but then he's gone to Chelsea and he looked like he can't even dribble in a straight line or, or string a pass together. So, and, and he's not the only player like that where they've looked really good at their previous club and they've gone to Chelsea and they look like a fish out of water. So uh, it's a shame to see, and, and they, they, they stockpile young players no, and all that. I think it's a shame. It's a sh- what I'm saying, it's a shame that those good players haven't ended up somewhere else where they yeah. can be more, more utilised and, and um, you know, produce the football that they're capable of playing. But yeah, I want I won't have any sympathy for Chelsea. It'd be can't stand them. So yeah, no, we're not. But, yeah, I, I've no, yeah, I've no, I've no, I've no idea what. Yeah, and also, yeah, you throw that amount of money at it, and, and and you, you know, you fail. There's there's a lot to be there's a lot to be pleased about about that. But yeah, it's it's a it's a very weird one. I can't imagine Potter will last much longer. Um, but but then you know who comes in, who wants it? Somebody somebody who wants a fat check, Anthony. <laughs> I was going to say, Graham Porter came out and said that it's the hardest job in football managing Chelsea. And I'm like, mate, what, what are you on about? That's like Michael Bielesk level of like, you know, stupid things to say at a press conference. So his days are numbered. And if you go on Twitter and Google his name, every single tweet is, get him out. He's done. 
like I know Twitter's not representative of the whole supporter base, but it was like a hundred about like ten out of ten tweets. First time I read were all like, "Get him out! He's finished. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's out. He's dead. Sack him." So I, I have to say, I just think it's a matter of only a matter of time because he's not as if he's not been backed, is it? I mean, far out. Yeah, I think um, Chelsea and Sevco and. All of the conservative politicians in the world are all in the mindset that rules and regulations are just for poor people, and uh, they don't. They're just going to take a wee wee on any financial fair play regulations. So, we we just we just keep our mind on our own uh, own matters and let them do what they want to do and, and laugh when they fail. Uh, okay, so just wrapping up now because we are over an hour. Um, any final thoughts, recommendations, Netflix, books, music, Paul, anything to see us out and get us through? Well, actually, sorry, I should mention our new show launches tomorrow, our first Tuesday show, and we'll have still our usual Wednesday show. So there'll be extra Celtic Down Under to get you through the week, but we still need to get through Thursday and Friday. So, Paul, what have you got? Uh, well, it's not so much a recommendation. I just thought it was uh, uh, nicely unplanned but coordinated that we've all got awake it's on and nobody's clashed so there was no awkward mm. no awkward uh, oh you wore the same outfit as me um we should have coordinated that better so that was that was one and then the other thing i wanted to mention i like i'm off to brisbane this week uh with work oh. um so um and it's uh, i'm gonna enjoy a beer on thursday night after the conference because i haven't had a beer this year so f- 51 days and counting um so yeah, I'll be I'll doing a little meeting an old mate from London uh, who now lives in Brisbane, and checking out a few local breweries in Brisbane on Thursday evening. So that will be uh, my tip. If you're in Australia, try check out Range Brewing if you like your cra- if you like your craft beer, some some excellent beers. That's in Brisbane. It, uh, well, Range have got a tap room in I think both Sydney and Brisbane, but uh, mm-hmm. their beers are available in Perth. Uh, in package so if you like your craft beer you can pick up them at your best local craft bottle shop okay thanks paul are you, being, are you being sponsored or <laughs> otherwise i would otherwise i would have named some of said uh, said craft bottle shops but no um other are, beers are available uh, there are other craft breweries available, but available. They, they, but I'll, I'll be i'll be getting them from source which i've never had so that's uh that's something to be excited when you've not had a beer for over 50 days. It sounds really good. I, I've had your quote of beer over the last 51 days. So all good. Um, two three things. Um, Celtic TV did a, a Valentine's Day tweet thing. Um, watch it. It's so cringeworthy. They stitched up Cal McGregor so badly. He just read as a beetroot by the end of it. He was so embarrassed. It was so funny. But in one of those real cringy, awkward sort of ways. So if you if you like that sort of comedy, watch that. And the other thing I just want to say is Adelaide Fringe Festival has started. So if you if we have any viewers and listeners in Adelaide, please go out and support uh, your local acts because um, comedians and local thespians have been doing it tough with COVID the last couple of years. So they could really do with going out and giving them your support. Whilst we're just one last thing, whilst we're talking about little clips, um, there's a really good clip floating around in social media of Joe Hart absolutely terrifying Hatati um, after the match. Um, we he sort of slaps him on the back to congratulate him, and he he he's absolutely we, we've not had our one swear, obviously he pretty much shits himself. Um, and then he turns around and yeah, he realizes it's it's just Joe giving him a big heavy-handed pat on the back, which is quite funny. So you probably find that on Twitter. Um, if you have a little look. Thanks, guys. Uh, and my 
final uh, message from myself is if you're listening in Western Australia and you're heading out to watch the, the cup final on Sunday, I'm going to head along to Johnny Fox's myself. I probably won't be in there too early. Uh, the music, I think, starts about 7.30, so there is a good long build-up to the game. Uh, so hopefully if, you, if you're in there and you see me and you're listening to this show, uh, just give me a tap on the shoulder, let us know. Good to have some feedback, see some faces of people that... Uh, listen to the show otherwise i'll see you there celebrating hopefully on uh sunday okay uh and that's it for us tonight uh take it easy everyone hopefully have a good week remember show on tomorrow for some new hosts new contributors and the usual wednesday show so tune in please and apart from that that's all to say and have a good night have a good week and hail hail (laughs) 